Welcome back. I'm Carolyn Stain. You're listening to Classic Lunch, proudly brought to you by First for Women Insurance here on Classic 1027. Now, I recently read a wonderful new book called Meditating with Rhinos, and I have to tell you, it is the most beautifully written memoir by internationally acclaimed South African playwright and screenwriter Helena Creel. And she's on the line right now to tell us a bit more about it. Hello, Helena. Welcome to Classic Lunch. Hey, Carolyn. Lovely to be here with you. It's so lovely to be speaking to you on the phone, on the show, at last. Yes, I'm a great fan of your show, Carolyn. I listen to it. And I mean, to be, to be hosted on it is, is just beautiful. Uh, thanks, Helen. And now we have known each other for a very, very long time. In fact, we were at university together here in Johannesburg at Witz. And many years later, when I moved to Los Angeles, well, <laughs> I was in an aerobics class at that gym in West Hollywood. And I looked across the room and thought, no, 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 I know that face. That looks like <laughs> Helena Creel, and indeed, it was Helena Creel. So tell me, Helena, what made you decide to follow your dreams and make that move to Los Angeles, to Hollywood? You know, Carolyn, I struggled a little bit in South Africa because everything had to be about politics when I was writing here. And I kept saying my work is about people, not politics. So I was a little bit sidelined by the mainstream. And then suddenly I broke through with a play called I Can't Wait to Tie You to the Sofa. And literally in six weeks, everybody wanted to work with me. It was just everything sort of flipped around. And I just decided, okay, everybody wants to work with me. It's the time to go to America. And off I went. And I looked for a, a competition in America. And I thought if I win the competition, the doors will open. Otherwise, I'm going to really struggle. How do you ever break into Hollywood? And, you know, it's a fantastic scenario. I did win the competition, and the doors opened for me there. And I became Wasn't this a, a Steven Spielberg competition, if my memory serves yeah, me? Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was just a dream. I mean, I had this vision when I left South Africa, I'm going to go and win this competition. And literally seven months later, I did win the competition. And, um, you know, it, it was just a crazy thing. Every door opened. Everybody wanted to meet with me. So it started my journey in Hollywood kind of in quite a wonderful way. And you've had a very, very successful career in Hollywood as an A-list screenwriter. You've co-written the film Kama Sutra, um, the award-winning movie Skin. You were living the dream life in many ways, but it suddenly turned on its head recently because of a personal crisis. Your marriage broke down and there was, of course, the writer's strike. Tell us a bit more about those moments in your life. Well, I mean, everything could not have been more exciting. Um, I had, I was choosing between, you know, six projects at a time. The best people were calling me in to write, to, to write for them. I was traveling all over the world, um, and really working with wonderful people. And at the same time, was married to somebody that, you know, I really considered to be the person I wanted to be with for the rest of my life. And then the writer's strike happened and every writer had to down tools. So you basically lost your income overnight. And at the same time, I realized that the guy that I was married to was actually not the person that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And so I exited that marriage at the same time. So both things happened simultaneously, and I had a sort of a crisis of belonging, I'll call it. It's also a crazy thing if you're South African and you're working overseas. You know, belonging becomes a sort of a very deep issue for you. So, you know, when the marriage ends and you're working overseas and your, your work all comes to an end, you just really don't know who you are, 
you know, what's it all about? Where do I belong? What's home? What's family? And that's what was going on. Helena, I have to tell you, and I have told you that two of my favorite books this year is, well, both penned by Helena Creel. The one was The Year of Facing Fire and now your current memoir, Meditating with Rhinos. How did Meditating with Rhinos come about? I was feeling this, you know, real shatteredness, I'll call it. And I just told myself, let me go back to South Africa. My family's here. Let me just catch my breath. So I came back and my sister, Alexis Creel, said to me, she's going to volunteer at a wildlife sanctuary. Do I want to come? And I just thought it would be a great way to get out of my head to do something, you know, to volunteer. So we literally packed our bags. We hit the road north. We followed crazy directions. We didn't know what was going to be at the end of the road. And um, the road just got further and further away from civilization. The trees got dustier and shaggier. The whole thing was sort of like foam-like in a way. And then we draw up to the gate at this wildlife sanctuary, and there's a sticker on the gate, and it's half a rhino and half a hippo. And my sister turned to me in the car and she said to me, it's a rhino scene. That's exactly what she said. And this sort of crazy emotion came up in me because I had been so deeply sad about what's what's been going on with rhinos and so when we drew up at the sanctuary and I saw the gray shapes behind the poles of the boma and I realized that you know it was a sanctuary so all of them had been rescued but they were all orphaned rhinos and a sort of spontaneous emotion came out of me I literally started weeping in the car and within an hour I had a bottle in a baby rhino's mouth and it was the three weeks actually that changed my life. It was the beginning that started the three weeks that changed my life. You know, reading the book, I, you know, I've had access to rhinos and I've always regarded them as these big beasts. You know, I mean, I've not regarded them as having emotion, but, you know, you've gotten to have a relationship with rhinos, one-on-one, physical, emotional relationship with them. And I just want to quote Mabush, the young rhino that was orphaned. You say that Mabush's misery shows how encoded it is, the need to belong. His deep squeaking shows pain, the pain of not belonging. He belonged to his mother. His world felt right. And now he belongs with no one and his world feels wrong. Tell us about Mabush. Mabush was the rhino that that started everything for me. I mean, honestly, it was a love affair between me and this young rhino. He came in after his mother was poached. Um, he had been by her side for a week. He had literally drunk her blood to stay alive. So he arrived at the sanctuary. He, he reeked of blood and he was profoundly traumatized. So they put him in a wooden crate just to calm him down a little bit. And he smashed the wooden crate to smithereens. So um, they put him in a night pen and um, he wasn't drinking milk and everybody was very concerned that he was going to start going down very quickly. So Petronel Nevo, the um, incredible person that founded and runs the sanctuary, said to the volunteers, we have to have a very deep level of quiet around the night pen. This rhino is traumatized. He's bolting out of sleep in nightmares. He's crashing around. He's not drinking milk. We're going to lose him. And she said she wants, you know, just no talking, no radio, no dogs, no cars, nothing. And something made me pipe up. I meditate. Will it be helpful if I go to the night pen and sit outside the night pen and I'll just meditate? Because I know, you know, I've meditated um, all my adult life and I know 
that meditation affects energy, it affects reverberation, it affects stillness and silence. And so I thought, what have we got to lose? So Petra now, you know, was kind of at her wit's end, and she said, yes, let's try this. And she said, meet me outside the night pen after breakfast, and, and let's see what we can make happen. So because I bolted to breakfast, I got to the night pen, and Petronella had then been sucked into another crisis, and I found myself alone outside the night pen. So instead of waiting for her to show up, I did what I said I would do, which is I sat down outside the night pen door, and I began to meditate. And um, so a very profound thing happened in the three hours that I sat there before Petronella came. And um, I don't want to sort of, ruin a reader's sort of pleasure in and in, mm. an interest in, in reading about it. So I don't want to speak about actually what happened, but what I will say is is that when we opened the night pen door, I saw this little guy lying on the on the hay and they gave him the bottle of milk and he drank the milk. And this is what began the relationship between me and this little rhino. I was then asked to stay with him. I had the wrong shoes. I had the wrong gear. I'd never been with a baby rhino before. And they were, they were short on staff. And, you know, Petronel could see that I was um, a devoted person, I guess. So they just said, they said to me, stay by the shoulder. Stay by the shoulder. If you get in front of his head, he could, he could hurt you. If you stay by his shoulder, you'll be okay. So that's what I did. I literally sat down with him. And again, it's, it's in the book and, and I've written it, you know, in, in a detailed way. But it was this dance that unfolded in the night pen between me and my bush. And it just went from there. And the love affair with my bush goes through the book. Um, and it goes all the way to the end of the book, pretty much. This connection, this absolute connection. He, he has never forgotten me. I'll, I'll tell you that. You tell a story, and we don't want to give too much away, about how rhinos remember. You talk about the fact that there they were in a pen together enjoying the day until some workers started, you know, banging away and I guess using a saw or something, and how they reacted to it, remembering how their mothers had been killed. So um, I have to tell you, Helena, the book took me through such a range of emotion. One moment <laughs> I found myself laughing out loud, the next weeping, you know, the, the sheer pain that you go through as Helena that kind of matches the pain of the rhinos, you know, and I think what you go through together and how you kind of save each other in a way. But Caroline, that is a crazy thing is I arrive at the sanctuary um, in, this, in this difficulty, this emotional difficulty, you know, with a sense of who am I and where do I belong? And there is the creature that I'm faced with in profound despair. I mean, those baby runners start crying and it breaks your heart, literally. I mean, I thought the rhino was a, was a silent creature. All the time I'd gone into the bush, that always struck me as very quiet. It is such a vocal and verbal creature. And when they talk to each other, they talk in all of these different squeaks and humps and groans. And, and when they cry, it, it's a heartfelt crying. They actually cry tears. They cry mm. tears. So I was faced with a broken creature. And the, 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 my bush's brokenness was, was strangely mirroring my own brokenness. And then new babies were coming in. And each time a new baby came in, 
the cycle of sadness with them and the relationship with them in this brokenness would strike me all over again. But the difference between me and the rhinos and the difference between I would, I would posit any human and the rhino is that rhinos are very quickly resilient. You know, I certainly was holding on to difficult emotion, and I know we as humans do that. You know, we'll, we'll take a struggle, you know, on with, in, into years, whereas the rhino comes into a sanctuary totally, totally shattered, and then you watch, and you just think, how is this rhino ever going to rehabilitate? And then within two weeks, within three weeks, I could honestly say maximum a month, that rhino turns around. And um, there's a Zen saying that I use in the book, which is grow where life puts you down, which is a, a very profound wisdom because it's often difficult to grow where life puts you down. You know, we often don't want to be where life puts us down. And then there's you know, a lot of resistance to that. And the Rhino is this brilliant teacher of wherever life puts you down, that's where you grow. So you think about a baby that's been walking, you know, in the beautiful bush and being in rivers and being with its, you know, by its mother's side and being rooting around in the rhino midden and such a natural life. And then it lands up in a sanctuary and big dogs barking and the scraping of concrete and volunteer voices. Can you imagine the shock? And yet mm -hmm. that rhino finds its way and it becomes, an, it becomes a joyful creature again. I mean, Helena, I can about... hear your passion. It is amazing. But I don't have a lot more time. I want to ask you how you've established an NPO to help save the rhino because, let's face it, they could possibly become extinct quite soon. How do our listeners help you save our rhinos? So my organization is called Baby Rhino Rescue. And our mission statement is working together to save the rhino from extinction. And that's exactly what we do. We invite people to work with us. Everybody has value. The graphic designer, the marketing person. It doesn't matter what you do in your life. Maybe you've got a big outreach in terms of your social situation. Everything can be used in the service of rhinos. And whereas nonprofits often are, you know, you write the check and off it goes and you never hear back, we are very personal. We'll pick up a phone. We want to hear from you. We want to speak to you. We want to find out what is your passion. How do you want to get involved? And then we invite you in. And literally, we've got a family of people, American and South African, that, that, that work for rhinos. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a miraculous thing. And so I would say that to the listeners, instead of, you know, being so sad like I was, get involved. You know, it can be my organization or a different one, but let's, let's not let this animal go extinct. They could be extinct, extinct in six years' time. I mean, we are really at the, we're at the 11th hour here. Helena, it goes without saying that um, your book is a must-read for everyone. I bought it for a number of copies for friends as a gift for Christmas. And I have to say, every word in your book, the, the way you put your words together are so beautiful. It's like a ballet, like a dance of words and such a joy and pleasure to read your words. Meditating with rhinos, really, I cannot recommend it highly enough. I have to say I love your passion, your determination for the project, and I want to thank you so much for your time, and I really, really hope we get a chance to catch up in person soon. Thank you, Carolyn. What a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you so much for your generosity. And I just appreciate you so much, honestly. Thank you.
Thanks, Helena. That was author, playwright, and screenwriter Helena Creel, and we were talking about her latest book, her memoir called Meditating with Rhinos, which has been published by Melinda Ferguson Books.